Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Amen. Help me welcome our online campus. God bless you guys. Peace to your house. So glad you're with us. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're going through the Bible in seven weeks and um, plowing through, flying over, however you want to put it. And uh, the whole goal is to stir our hearts and to uh, actually spark more interest in God's Word and alleviate and reduce some of the apprehension that we sometimes have about, well, the Bible, I don't know if I can get into it. God wrote it and sent it for us, and uh, we can learn and grow. So hopefully we're opening that up, turning on some lights as we go um, so that you will begin to navigate God's Word for yourself. Make it a part of your life. Uh, Let's go ahead and, and get one of the benefits of God's Word. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, it says, Your words were found... And I ate them. One translation says, I discovered your word and I devoured it. And I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Look me in the eye real quick. How many of you could use a little more joy and rejoicing in your heart? Okay, I just looked in your eyes. And some of you need a little more joy and rejoicing in your heart. In your hearts. And one of the ways to get it seriously, trust me in this, is the entrance of God's word. To feed upon God's word. And I don't know about you, but I like to eat. I don't like missing meals. I can get hangry. (laughs) Any of y'all know what I mean? So hungry, you turn angry. It's called hangry. It's one of my new jokes. I'm still working on it. (laughs) But one of the goals, one of the templates of Scripture, uh, the design for us is that we would become a people that are more and more happy, come on, help me, stable, fruitful, blessed, so that we can what? be a blessing and ultimately what? Bring glory to God. And so I think a prerequisite to that even starting, happy, stable, fruitful, blessed, look right here, the joy and the rejoicing in my heart comes from, need some joy and rejoicing in your heart, uh, will come from God's word and our exposure to and our intake of God's word has such a dramatic and lasting impact in our lives. So we're touring through the Bible uh, in seven weeks, and obviously we're not reading uh, every word of the Bible. I'm encouraging you to do that. We have a study guide, a seven-week study guide available online. We have a card out in the lobby on uh, all the counters, I believe, where you can get that. That'll direct you to it. Or you can just go to our website, and you can be reading along uh, and just giving you some insight, opening some things up on uh, all seven weeks as we, as we go through this. So... I want to uh, recommend a book to you this morning if you're halfway serious at all about the Word of God, and it's called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. It's by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. They are scholars. It's an incredible book. It's not a book that you sit down and just read the whole book. It's a book that you read along with your Bible, and it will help you to open up all of the books. I cannot recommend uh, that book any higher. Uh, It is just an, an incredible resource, and I would encourage everybody to do it or Tell your mom on Mother's Day to buy you one. You'll be a better kid, whatever it would be, but get those. Uh, you can get them a number of places, and obviously you can get them at Amazon. And like I told you a couple weeks ago, if you do Amazon, do Amazon Smile. 
and then they will contribute to the charity of your choice. And I think that Meadowbrook's a good charity. So um, you can do it that way. But a great, great book for you. Well, the Bible, there are over 5 billion copies have been sold, over 100 million copies sold every year. It's the most translated book of all times. It's in over 2,500 languages. It is the most influential book of all time, influencing civilizations and culture and individual lives. And here's the problem we run into after all of that, yet so few people actually get into the Bible. How many of you have a Bible? Okay, hands down, let's go next level. How many of you have more than one Bible? Okay, I was actually in a house years ago and they had a Bible strategically placed in every room of the house. And I asked the lady, I said, so what's with all the Bibles? And she goes, his word is a lamp. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But it's not a good luck piece. It's not a decoration, okay? And so... Uh, we've got to do this. You've got to pick it up. You've got to read it. You need to believe it and then follow it. And I'm telling you, it is life-changing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? <clears throat> so just being around it, just hearing it, you know, energizes you, impacts you. Faith rises. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Even people that never crack the book open for themselves love coming to church when the Bible is being taught and hearing songs that are inspired by God's word because it does something to you. So how much more, how much more if just you, you would go ahead and get into God's word and read it. And yes, you can. And yes, you can understand it. God sent it for us and God has made a way that we can understand it. Hopefully this is going to be helping you to do that as well. Now, there are two halves to the, to the Bible, <clears throat> and actually they're not equal halves, so we'll call them two parts of the Bible. The first would be the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is uh, prior to Jesus and pointing to Jesus. Then we have the New Testament, and the New Testament uh, is the arrival of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus, and then beyond Jesus. 66 books total, not just a collection of books. It is all tied and connected together. As we've been saying, not original with me, but this is so powerful, the, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And you put it all together, it connects so well, and it is powerful, and we get insight in this. And hopefully we're, we're seeing some of those things as we go along. Um, let's see where we've been so far. We've been in what we call the beginning, the first five books of the Bible, the law Uh, the beginnings of it all. Second was the history books, 12 books there. It's the history essentially of Israel in the promised land. And remember this, that Israel, they're not just God's only people. They were a, a, a prototype, so to speak, of this is what it is to look like, hopefully, uh, to be in covenant relationship with God. This, this is the history of Israel in and around the promised land. Thirdly would be the wisdom books. And uh, right in the middle of the Bible, this very rich vein right there is, is the wisdom books. Last week, we looked at 17 books, the prophets, and we finished out the Old Testament, 39 books. The last book of the Old Testament was Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And the message rings on through 400 years of silence from the closing of the Old Testament until the opening of the New Testament. And it is waiting for the promised Messiah. Well, he comes and Matthew opens up the New Testament and we have Jesus coming in and we start the New Testament today and what we call the Gospels. Does anybody know what gospel means? It's good news. Come on, everybody say it. Good news. And what really makes it good news is the bad news. 
Because in the context of that, then we really see the good news of this. This is about the the life and the ministry of Jesus. So really, maybe even more of the theme than the Gospels, here would be our theme today. Our theme would be Jesus. This is all about Jesus. So again, remember, the prophets closed down, and then we have echoing through 400 years a promised Messiah coming. And then when the Bible opens back up for us again, Jesus comes on the scene. So the Gospel being good news... Uh, covering the life, the ministry of Jesus, his birth, his temptation, message, his ministry, his miracles, his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that going on. And yet how he came and kind of how he lived really doesn't point to anything that would lend itself to, for us to think that there would be greatness about him. There's a very classic work uh, writing called One Solitary Life. And uh, we found a really great video presentation of this. Enjoy this just for a moment. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then, for three years, he was an itinerant teacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled, except in his infancy, more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. So we look at Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the accounts of this in the gospel. And when we come to the gospel, there are four of them, and uh, sometimes referred to as the big four, and one of them is not named Ringo, okay? And so let's look real quick, and we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is called the gospel, and gospel is good news. And I just want to give you a quick overview of the gospel. A man named Jesus, the son of God himself, came to earth, took on human form, 
lived a sinless life, willingly went to the cross to die for the sins of all mankind, my sins and your sins. He lived, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again so that you and I could be reconciled back to God, so that you and I could have relationship with God, so that you and I could be alive, so that you and I could be free. And he took our sins, and understand it's our sins, all of us, our sins that separated us from a holy God. Jesus came and took those out of the way so that we could be reconciled to God. The Bible says that in in Colossians 3 that he nailed our sins, the list of our sins. He nailed them to the cross. 2 Corinthians reveals to us that he became our sin and he was nailed to the cross. He paid the price and took those sins out of the way so we actually could be back in relationship with God and reconciled to God. He, He died so we could have a meaningful life. He rose again so we could have the power to live it. And when you believe that, when you believe this good news, when you believe that, we not only have a home in heaven forever, we also have help in this life right now by believing. And you know what? That's good news. Come on, I said that's good news. So let's go ahead and jump into the book of Matthew here. I'm going to do my best to not make this classroomish, but this, we're going to lay this out and I trust me. This is going to give you a whole nother place to stand on to understand God's word and to enjoy God's word. So Matthew was a disciple, one of the 12 disciples. He was an eyewitness. He later became one of the apostles. Don't confuse that the disciples and the apostles. The apostles were after Jesus ascended. They are, by the word itself, apostle. They are sent to represent him in a special way. This was written probably about 70 to 80 AD. So we're what? Uh, 40 to 50 years after, after Jesus. This is more of Jesus' teachings than any of the other gospels. Matthew was Jewish. He was a Jew. And he wrote with a particular slant and focus for the Jews because what he wanted was for the Jews to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah that they understood from, from the uh, prophets. So in order to make that clear, he starts out the whole book with a genealogy. You know, uh, they have things now where you can get your DNA tested, 23andMe and all those kind of things. You can find out who your real mama is and, and things like that. Are you all with me? All right. And, and so this was to go back because this was so important in Jewish culture and history is where they came from. And especially if Jesus were the Messiah, he had to be of the lineage or the line that came from King David. So he goes back further than David and goes all the way back to Abraham. And he starts the book, Matthew, Matthew 1 verse 1, he starts it out this way. Now, many of you have done this before. You open it, I'm going to read Matthew. And you start and it's going through all this. And you go, what is that? I don't care who his uncle is and mama is. And so, but watch this. There's a purpose for this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. He's saying, this is the Messiah. And here's the first proof I'll give you. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And on and on it goes and it brings it all the way up, even through Mary and Joseph and brings it all the way to Jesus as a proof that this is the Messiah. 
He shows how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies that related to the Messiah. He shows the origins of Jesus, the teaching, the ministry, the miracles, the sacrifice, the resurrection. And he opens up with Jesus as the promised Messiah. He closes it all down with the Messiah having completed why he came. He's now the resurrected Savior. And as the resurrected Savior, having all authority, he calls us all to be disciples or followers of him. Here's two key verses out of Matthew. Matthew 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to call call him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's the Messiah. Go all the way to chapter 28. And we get what's referred to as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, what Jesus? Jesus that has now been crucified, risen from the dead, uh, resurrected Savior, full-blown Messiah. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So why are we baptizing next week? Because Jesus said to do that. He said that when people become a follower of me, I want you to not only to be a follower, part of following is I want, I want you to seal this with baptism. So that's why we're doing that as well. Let's move ahead to the book of Mark. Mark, everybody say Mark. He's also referred to as John Mark. Uh, Mark was written about 65 AD, so about 35 years after Jesus. Uh, This is the shortest of the gospels, 16 chapters. And get this, Mark was young. He was young. Here's the truth. Mark was probably not even alive when Jesus was on the earth. We'll get to that in just a moment. This, and I think part of it has to do with his youth, and another thing I'll reveal in just a moment. This is a fast-paced, high-energy action-packed book. Now, let me just stop right there for a minute. I believe as a follower of Jesus, as a reader, a studier of the Bible, you need to always be in the Gospels. Tell your, tell your neighbor, always be in the Gospels. Now, tell your other neighbor your obvious second choice. Tell them. Tell them. Okay. Didn't mean to cause trouble there. You always need to be in the gospel. I read a proverb every day. There's some other things that I read in the Bible, but I'm always in the gospels, even if it's just a short section. And your Bible will always give you like little, little sections. Why should I always be in the gospels? Because we're Christ followers, and I think you need to constantly be following him, watching what he did, how he handled things. You learn more and more of his character, of his personality, of, of uh, his, his mission. And so always be in the gospels. And sometimes, you know, you just need some action. You need some high energy and Mark would be that book. I always get a little excited when I know, man, this is going to be hard hitting all the way through. And so uh, Mark starts out this way. Uh, He uses the word immediately 41 times. He uh, uses the word amazed or astonished dozens of times. The book of Mark starts out running and then it screeches to a halt. It's more about what Jesus did than what Jesus said. Remember that Matthew was much about his teachings. It's much more about what Jesus did. He has nothing in there about the virgin birth or Jesus as a boy at the temple or the Sermon on the Mount. There is teaching in there, but uh, largely this is about action and miracles. All four of the Gospels record the miracle of the feeding the multitude. You remember that one? There was a time where there was a multitude numbering about 5,000 men plus the women and children. And so it could be upwards of 15,000 people. And Jesus fed that whole multitude, you ready, with a two-piece fish dinner. 
two fish, five loaves of bread. Mark records that he didn't just do it one time. He did it at least twice. Not only did he do the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, he, did, he fed 4,000 men plus women and children with uh, two fish and seven loaves of bread. And so uh, he, he's really bent on action and pulling all of those things out. Now, I said he's young, and this is the other thing you need to know. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not one of the 12 disciples. But he was used and called by God to write this this gospel. Mark was actually, and you can follow his story a little more through the book of Acts. We'll look at it some next week. But Mark actually became like a spiritual son to Peter. Many scholars actually refer to the gospel of Mark as Peter's gospel. And you remember Peter was a high energy, impulsive uh, disciple of Jesus, one of the great apostles. And uh, Peter pretty much told Mark Gave, gave Mark, this is what I saw Jesus do and what I heard him say and where he went and what happened here. And so it's, it's already kind of wound in an action kind of uh, genre there for, for Peter. And so Mark takes that and writes that and edits it and, and presents it. And here's the beautiful thing about Mark. Mark, the book, presents Jesus as the son of God in full authority. And then he does this, son of God, full authority, who became servant, who became servant. That adds the greater value to him as the servant, that he, the son of God in full authority, would come to serve. Look at this key verse here, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The book of Mark. Let's go ahead to the book of Luke. Everybody say Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a a co-worker of Paul. He also was not one of the original 12, but God used him because of, uh, I think, how he was wired. This was written about 70 AD. Uh, What he did is went back and he interviewed eyewitnesses. He went back and interviewed people that were close followers of Jesus and close to everything there. Luke gives us Jesus in detail, where Mark gives us Jesus in action. Are you all with me? Are you bored? Oh, good. Well, you wouldn't tell me anyway, but, but anyway. <laughs> Mark gives us Jesus in action. Luke gives us Jesus in, in detail. And he tracks the lineage of Jesus, not just back to Abraham. He tracks him all the way back to Adam in, in his gospel. Incredibly powerful. He gives us extra and unique details, some, some, uh, and therefore Luke is the longest of the Gospels. It's the most thorough academically and historically. And I want you to see this real quick in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is how he starts out his book. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning... I have also decided to write a careful account. Everybody say that. Careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. Let's just stop right there. Theophilus. Anybody here named Theophilus? It's actually a really great name. You break it up. Theo means God. Philus actually has to do like with phileo, love. It means he's loved of God. And scholars think, we're not totally clear, but scholars think that he was a new convert. 
He was eager to learn, and he was a wealthy leader, most likely, and he's probably underwriting Luke's work. He's financing him so that he can, he's able to go and travel and interview and, and have the time to be able to do this. So he said, I've decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so we needed a clear account because, first of all, to clear up false stories, false stories. Even back then they had fake news. (laughs) Come on, how many of you ever made anything up before? I did. Some of y'all much younger than me won't remember this, but there used to be a television show called Gilligan's Island. (laughs) And in second grade, I told all my pals, I got an uncle who works in Hollywood. Come on, how many of you made up stuff, all right? (laughs) Then in about fourth or fifth grade, we lived in a trailer park. As I say, there's nothing wrong with a trailer park, but there was something wrong with our trailer park, okay? (laughs) And in the lot next door to us, they, they dug a septic tank and drain field. And I'm just a little guy, you know, wandering around. Uh, my iPad was broken, and, and so uh, just wandering around, and I saw these big, porous rocks that they had, and I looked at them, and those kind of looked like moon rocks. And so I put them in a Ziploc bag and went to school for show and tell. And what was going on right about then, we were landing on the moon and things like that. So for show and tell, I pull them out and commence to tell my class. I've got an uncle that works at NASA, and... Uh, he let me borrow these for a couple of days. No, you can't touch them or hold them because i got to get them back to my uncle at NASA. How many of you ever made up stuff before? And so people were making up stuff about Jesus. Yeah, I was in Starbucks with Jesus and, I, and people making up things, uh, good things, bad things even. So it was not only to clear that up and give a good, clear account about Jesus, but it was also to strengthen the faith of people. And that's a unique thing about the book of Luke. Hear this. Luke was not Jewish. The other writers were. He didn't have a Jewish background. So he is able to direct how he focuses the book to those that are Gentiles, according to the Bible, that don't have that Jewish background. Also to those that might be unbelievers or skeptical or far from God. Luke is a very powerful, effective book to be able to give a good, clear account and give some proof. Here's a key verse in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke, let's go to John. John, everybody say John. John would be the number one recommended book as your first book to get into the Bible. As a matter of fact, I'd recommend everybody go back and read John again. Because when you put it all together, this is the most simple and profound book to bring the whole book, the whole Bible together. It's like a portal that opens up and you see it all come together. Simple yet profound and incredible uh, read. And I would encourage everybody to do this. And part of it has to do with has to do with who John was in relationship to Jesus. I'll get there in a minute. But he, he presents Jesus as the son of God, not just a teacher or whatever, not just a miracle worker, but really emphasizing the son of God. John also wrote what we call little John, uh, first, second, and third John. They're small books toward the end of the Bible. And then the book of Revelation. 
And the last week of this series, that, it's all going to be focused on the book of Revelation. You don't, want to, you don't want to miss that day. So it's the story of Jesus. It's the story of how God has come to the earth to call the earth back to himself. Really big on the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was in fact the I am, which connects us all the way back to Moses. Remember when Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am has sent you and is with you. And Jesus comes out and reveals that he is, in fact, not only the son of God, but he is God himself. It has to do with the deity of Jesus. John gives us more about who Jesus uh, was than, than what he did and what he said and where he went. The first three gospels are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they essentially have the same content, the same stories are pretty much the same, just from a little bit different angles, as I've pointed out. Uh, matter of fact, 91% of the book of Mark is found in the book of Matthew, just with a little, little different take. The gospel of John is different. It's much different. This is other stories. This is conversations. Uh, this, is, this is where the others are about miracles and parables and some of the large uh, scale teachings. This has to do with conversations. This has to do with, uh, you know, up close discussions. Uh, deeply theological, deeply philosophical. And, and here's the thing about it. You ready for this? This is why. Because John was the closest to Jesus. If there's anyone that, that felt the breath of Jesus and was up close and heard his, his aside statements and the close comments and, and spent time with him, it was John. Matter of fact, John refers to himself in, in this writing as, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm his favorite. And because of that closeness, he's able to present Jesus to us in a way that I want to know Jesus in that way. And he gives us a good insight into that. Where the other books are Jesus in action or Jesus in detail, this is Jesus in conversation. This is Jesus up close in relationship. Matthew and Luke start out with the physical birth of Jesus. Uh, Mark starts out with Jesus already in full-blown ministry. Uh, John begins not by taking him back to Abraham, not by taking him back to Adam. He takes him all the way back to the beginning. Look with me in John chapter 1. In the beginning, come on, everybody. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And this is reference Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Go over to verse 14 and the word became flesh. So who is it? It's Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. A message paraphrase says, and he moved into the neighborhood. I like that. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of of truth. And John's entire focus and goal of the book is to present Jesus and then invite you to believe. Look in John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may, what, what? 
believe. 98 times in the Gospel of John we have the word believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so that believing you may have life in his name. To believe what? To believe the gospel. To believe that God himself so loved us that he sent his son to the world so that we, as he called us back to himself, that we would believe in him. Go with me quickly to John chapter 3. We're almost done. For God, here, here it is, the whole story. This portal opens up in the gospel of John of the whole wide Bible. And here the life and light comes through. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And don't let anybody tell you that he sent Jesus to condemn the world. But that in order that the world might be saved through him. Watch this verse. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. And get this right. They were condemned already. God didn't condemn them. They're in the water and sinking and he sent the lifeboat and they didn't choose to get in. He didn't condemn them. He he didn't cast them away. He came to save them. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then go with me to John 1, 12, and I'll finish. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who, come on, believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now look at me, and I'll close with this. This is not about proving Jesus. This is about presenting Jesus and then inviting people to believe. And if you believe, Jesus will prove himself to you. Taste and see that God is good. And that's good news. And I'll stop right there. Did you get anything out of this today? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together. You listen too good. I ran us out of time. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for every person today. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible love manifest and then reported back to us to make sure that we get this. Bless your people. May a hunger in everyone be stirred and awakened today for your word and for you. And God, I just thank you now for a blessed rest of the day. Lord, let, you, let us be aware of your closeness and your nearness. Let us walk ever closer with you. I speak peace to every dwelling, every gathering today. Thank you for your favor and protection. And we just thank you, God, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Peace. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.